My name is David Hopper. Uh, you might remember me. I once worked here. <laughs> About three weeks ago, I was kicked out and told I had to start a church in the valley up in Fresno, Clovis area, which is, you know, it's not a cold area of the world. And uh, it's been good. It's been really good. And I'm, if you're new, that, I, that is a true story. It's, we're planting a church, and this church is sending us, and it's been an incredible journey. For you, it's only been like probably three weeks, but for us, it's already been a lifetime. It feels like we've been up there. It's sort of almost um, surreal to come back because we've been going and going and going and just meeting with people about the church. And plus, we're trying to rebuild our house, which is an adventure in itself, a really big adventure. And on my calendar, I marked last Thursday. I just put an X through it and said, this, this Thursday... We've been going too hard and too fast. This is going to be a Sabbath. We're going to take a step back and just rest. And so that Thursday came, and that morning as I woke up, I said, okay, just a couple emails. It's going to take care of a couple things in the morning, and then it's going to be a day of rest. And so I did that. And then I thought, well, you know, it's sort of resting to go work on the house. I can pray while I'm working on the house. So I go over, and I start working on my bathtub, and I run into all kinds of problems, flood my own living room. And about one o'clock, I said, this is not a day of rest. And so I went back to my house, or my, my father-in-law's house, and where we're staying, they have a pool. And I said, okay, I'm going to go out in the pool, going to lay on the little floaty thing and just kind of relax. And I was, I was in that moment when I realized I was feeling guilty for relaxing. And as I'm laying there floating around with the waterfall going on the side of me, I thought, you know, I can't, there's too much that I have to be doing. I can't be sitting here and just relaxing right now. If somebody saw me right now, they'd be so disappointed. And I thought about the fact that what I'm speaking on today in that moment, and I realized we have a real problem with relaxing, with understanding that God has given us grace, the liberating grace at some point to stop and say, relax. I've got it under control. The killer of this grace that we've been talking about week after week after week, the killer is perfectionism. Now, perfectionism, how you would define it is like this. It's trying to prove my worth by being perfect. I hate to tell you guys this, but I am not perfect. I know. I know. But I'm not and here's what happened. Here, here is the whole thing. This too good to be true moment happened in our life. We at some point were listening to Pastor Larry. He was doing this incredible sermon. You were in tears and overwhelmed in that moment. And at the end of the sermon, he says, and then Christ died on this cross for you. And he died for your sin. And you are forgiven. And it's by grace that you have been forgiven. And you're looking and you're like, yes, yes, I want this. I want this gift. I can't believe it's a free gift to me. And you accepted it. And in that moment, you said, this is the moment. You wrote it down. You celebrated it as a birthday. It was such an exciting moment. And then time went by and you said, you know, this is a little too good to be true. There's got to be some fine writing, you know, there's got to be a little bit more to this. And so you started reading the Bible and you said, oh, here it is. I'm supposed to change all these things in my life, which is true. 
You're supposed to cause things to change. You go, there it is. And so you started doing that. I got to do this. I got to stop doing this. I got to stop looking at this. I got to change the way I treat these people and on and on. And you made this list and you started working on the list. And after a while, you thought, I'm doing pretty good. I'm actually a better person. Thank you, God. And then time went on. And time went on. You started thinking, you know, I'm really good. In fact, I have... I'm a pretty good Christian. These guys, they're looking at me as the example now. And something slipped along the way to where you said, you know what? This is too hard. I can't be like these Christians anymore. They're, it's too much pressure. And I, they're so good. And these rules, this ridiculous set of rules that I have to live my life, I'm out. I'm done. And we slipped along this, this sliding slope to where grace got lost. This too-good-to-be-true sort of feeling came in, and perfection became everything. All of a sudden, if I'm perfect, I can earn my way into heaven. We never said that. We never said, I'm trying to earn my way into heaven, because we know that you're not supposed to say that. But somewhere along the way, we suddenly realize, I have to earn my way into heaven. I have to be good enough. I have to be perfect enough. And then, when heaven comes along, I will have actually deserved it which is why we're talking about grace. When we slip down this slope, we forget the liberating grace that God gave us. Here's two enemies to liberating grace. One of them we've already talked about. It was legalism. Legalism is an absolute enemy to grace. But the one I want to focus on is this perfectionism. It's this weird trait somewhere in the back of our mind that we have to be perfect. Galatians 3.3 says, You began in Christ by the, by the Spirit. Now as you are trying to make it complete by your own power, this is foolish. This is foolish. It's foolish that we've taken this gift and now we've thought we had to earn it. What are the problems with perfectionism in our life? In your notes, you have it there. It says this, It defeats my initiative. I have a buddy. For 10 years, I've been working with this guy to just try and learn what God has created him to be. And I get so annoyed with this guy because he's always talking about, well, once this is done, then I'll be able to do it. He's talked about getting a wife for 10 years. And there's a lot of reasons why he doesn't have a wife. But, but he keeps waiting for that as if that's the big moment in his life to when now he's going to be able to do what God's called him to do. He's talked about different career paths and he starts a career path and he says, I don't know if that's quite right. And so he changes it up a little bit and then changes over here. He moves around more than anyone I know. He goes back and forth to parents' house. It's like 30 years old, still living in his parents' house. I'm like, man, at some point you just, you just got to let go and just start doing what God has called you to do. It's killing your initiative that all your ducks have to be in a row before you're going to start. It's like planning a church. I don't know where we're going to meet. I don't know who's going to come. But at some point, you just got to move and get going with it and just see what happens, right? There's just a point when you have to let perfection go. Ecclesiastes 11.4 says, if you wait for perfect conditions, you'll never get anything done. Second thing it does is it damages your relationships. Do you like hang around that family member that is always pointing out everything wrong in your life. Huh? You're always calling them up because you want some more advice, right? We all want more advice from our friends telling us everything wrong in our life. 
We, we call those people. We ask them all to come over to hang out for our fun events, right? No, absolutely not. That's who we avoid, and yet are we doing that? Are we putting this perfection on others and, and always sort of, that's okay, but there's this. This is good, but how about this? It's a weird trait we have as humans. The other one is when we're struggling through things and we're trying to be perfect, we always get a little annoyed when someone's already doing it next to us. One of our friends has already gotten there. You see this all the time in social media. Someone posts this great post about how God has totally done this in their life, and you're like, huh, that's really great for them. And then you post, well, have you thought about the uh, orphans in Africa? I mean, it could be any story. It's a story about saving puppies. And you, you, you see Debbie Downer on there going, there's so many puppies we're missing, though. So many puppies. And you're like, you know what? D-friend. We have to get past these things. These are relationship killers. Perfection is a relationship killer. The other one is perfectionism will destroy my happiness. Ecclesiastes 7.16 says, Do not be excessively righteous and do not be overly, overly wise. Why should you ruin yourself? That verse shouldn't be in the Bible, right? I mean, look at it. That, that verse, that's, that's, not, that's a misprint. But I don't think God makes many misprints. And that verse really is in the Bible. Hey, don't be too good. Don't be too good because if you're too good... Uh, you're, you're really going to mess yourself up. That's a weird verse. That's one of those verses that should cause us to step back and go, what is he talking about here? Because I really like this verse. And what he's talking about is I give you these things. It's like he knows humans, as if he created them. He says, I give you these things, and all of these things are so that you will avoid things that are going to hurt you, things that are going to mess you up, things that are going to cause you to stumble. I want to give you a bunch of warnings but knowing you, you're going to take these things and then make them God. And all of a sudden, that's everything. And you have to be perfect. And if you're perfect, you've earned your way into heaven. And I want you to be careful because these things are here to help you. You don't have to make them God in your life. I am God. Let me be God, not these things that are here to help you. Make sense? No? <laughs> Here's how you defeat it. Grace. Grace is how you defeat perfectionism in your life. It's time to relax. We live in the OC, the most relaxing place in the world, right? The beach is right down the street. It's not like that at all, right? We're, it's like a rat race because we're trying to compete and trying to continue to make it. It's ridiculous how we've taken a place that has this persona of relaxation and made it Anything but that. We need to get back to relaxing. In your notes, you have an acronym. The R, the E, all the, the relax spells out something. And here's what I want you to write. The R is for realizing that nobody's perfect. Psalms 119.96 says, Nothing is perfect except God's word. What is the one thing that is perfect in this world? What? Yeah, it's not a hard test. It's really right there. <laughs> behind me. It's God's word. It's the only thing that's perfect. So we should probably focus on the only thing in this entire world that is perfect.
Because we are focused on a lot of things, and they are not perfect. There's only one thing. We want to build our life on something that is perfect. So build it on God's Word. The more time you spend with that, the more you're going to see so much fruit, so much joy. All the things God speaks about and so often talks about, if we'll just stay focused on the only thing that is perfect. There is no one on earth who does what is right all the time and never makes a mistake. So when we're focused on others or focused on ourselves, we are missing out on God's best, his only thing that is perfect, which is his word. And God's grace says this, knowing that, knowing that no one is perfect, that's okay because you've been given grace. You don't have to be perfect. Does this mean that we're not supposed to continue to try and grow? Obviously not. Obviously, you have to repent from sins. Obviously, you're supposed to stop sinning. Just don't take those things and make them God in your life. That's when you're going to have an issue. So you got you to balance these out. I was talking to my painter who liked to talk a lot for a parent for some reason. So he's in my house last week and he's painting, taking a break every 20 minutes to ask me a question. And he said, hey, because he knows I'm a pastor. You ever cuss? I'm like, I'm about to cuss if you don't get back up there and start painting. <laughs> no. He said, then he goes, do you ever drink? You ever smoke? And on and on, all week long, he's just asking me these questions. And I go, hey, I can't help that these last 50 questions have been something about works. Like I have to earn something. Let me ask you a question. Is your whole religion, is it based on good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell? And he's like, absolutely, of course. Which I was like surprised. Anyway, so I'm like, well... And here's what he goes. He said, um, all my friends, they go to church. And they go to church, they act all nice and holy. And then when they leave church, they act a totally different way. That's why I don't go to church, because that's what I see. And I go, well, you realize the Bible never says anything like that. And he's like, what? And all his painting buddies are starting to hang off the ladders and listen in. It's like a little, I'm like, here we go. It's service time. And I go, see... Christ died on the cross, and I give him the whole gospel presentation right there. Like, apparently we're not painting anymore, so here's the gospel presentation. (laughs) And it was amazing. It was amazing because it it was like I had blown his mind. And they're all in my Bible study now, and they're all going to check out the church. It's... (laughs) I. uh, That's not why I said it. That's true, but that's not why I said it. There's something about... There's something about us that we think perfection is the goal, and we have to realize that nobody's perfect. The E is for enjoy. It's time to enjoy life a little bit. 1 John 3.1 says, See how very much our Heavenly Father loves us, for He allows us to be called His children. Think of it. And we really are a child of God. We too quickly pass this. The difference between a child of God is so dramatic than what we think. When I was trying to relax last Thursday, and I'm laying on my flotation device, just bouncing around in the water, I look over, and my father-in-law has hired some guy to work on the fountain. So he's back there with a forklift trying to get the waterfall off, and I don't know what he was doing. He's sweating, and I'm like, 
Well, I feel guilty. I'm looking at this guy, and he's working so much. And at the end of the day, the father-in-law goes to him and says, great job, gives him some money and says, fantastic. And I, I looked at that moment, and I'm thinking, you see, in the Bible, we think it's talking about being a servant of God. And we say that in a good way. It's being a servant of God, a servant of God. But there's a dramatic difference between servant of God and child of God. A servant of God works for appreciation. That guy got a lot of appreciation. He did a good job. But what does that mean? Tomorrow, he has to show up again and earn that again. If he came tomorrow and he said, you remember yesterday? I'm just going to relax in the pool today with uh, your, your, your son-in-law in there. I'm going to relax with him because yesterday was such a good day. What would happen? Guy be fired, right? Because his whole appreciation is dependent on what he does. That's how we treat that. And where a child rests in the love of knowing that he is not going to be kicked out of the family. A servant is accepted because of his workmanship, his performance, his productivity. If someone is good, yeah, we'll reward them. But if someone is bad, they're fired. That is a servant. It's momentary. A child is accepted because of his relationship with the father. You don't lose that. You may make mistakes and you're going to feel bad. You feel bad when you make a mistake and you go to the father and you say, oh, I messed up. You know what you don't think is now I'm going to be kicked out of the family forever. When our kids make mistakes and they come to us and they're really sad and they're crying, it's like, okay, you're out of the family. We don't do that, right? Because a child never is kicked out of the family. That relationship is forever. So when God says, and this is what he uses more than anything else, I am your father, you are my child, he's telling us, no matter what you do, you don't have to be perfect. You will always be my child. You're not my servant. You're my child. My kids, they bring me very uh, interesting pieces of art out of crayons and probably stuff that I'm, they're not supposed to be coloring on. And they bring it to me, and they show it to me, and they say, Daddy, look. And I'm like, you know what? That's beautiful. I say it every time it's beautiful. And you know what? It, it is kind of beautiful. It's, I mean, I enjoy it. I like what they did. But because it's my child, I do think it's beautiful. In fact, if I owned a Picasso, and as my children grew up, and they got a little better at artwork, they wouldn't, they'd still be amateur, but they got a little bit better, and they brought me this beautiful piece of art that they put together. Do you think that I would put the Picasso on my mantle or this beautiful piece of art that my child brought me? Which one do I want on my mantle? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I don't want that ugly piece of... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, you know, because they're my child, it means so much more to me. It's so special to me. And so when we come to God, we're probably amateur most of our life. I will probably always struggle with being whatever God wants me to be. But I'm continuing to grow and giving it to my God. And my God, because he is my father and I am his child, he's saying, that's awesome. I love it. I'm going to put it on my mantle. It's so good. That's the difference. So enjoy life. You are a child of God. Romans 8.31, if God is for us, who can be against us? So relax. The L is for let God handle things. You see, the root of perfectionism is this desire to control. If I can control my wife, she's going to be perfect, right? 
Amen, men? I didn't hear many amens. If I can control this marriage, we're not going to have near the amount of problems. If I could control my career, my boss, man, I'd be able to really, really be able to handle it. If I could control my kids, they're going to not make all the mistakes I made when I grew up. If they would just let me control them, why won't they let me control them, right? It's perfectionism is what's causing this desire to control. If I could control my church, it'd be the best church in the world, right? It's just this weird thing that we've got in us where we have to say, God is God and I am not. God, I can't control my God. I can't control what he's doing. He's got some master plan that I don't quite understand, but he is God and I am not. First Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. How many of you guys are girls fish? When you fish and you cast it out, what do you have to do at some point? Reel it in is one way. What, before the reeling in part, I didn't hear it. Let go. Think frozen. All right. Sing it with me. You have to let go. That's why this is such a key verse. Cast, cast all your anxiety. You have to actually let go of it to cast it out. So when you let go of this perfectionism, of all this anxiety, because you put it on yourself, when you let go, he will take care of it. Why? Because he cares for you. Proverbs 14.30 says, A relaxed attitude lengthens a man's life. Such good verses. There's, a, there, there's no perfect vacation you're going to go on. You're not going to go on that perfect vacation where you come back and you're like, now life's a lot better. Actually, you'll come back and realize, oh, we didn't do any of the dishes or the clothes or the wash. You know what I mean? Right, there's no perfect marriage out there. You're all going to struggle. It's just part of marriage. There's no perfect kids. As great as they are, they're going to make mistakes. There's no perfect body. I know, ladies, there's no perfect body. That was weird. I don't even know why I said that. <laughs> you know what? Never mind. Never mind. There's no perfect church. Canyon Hills is awesome, but it's not perfect. And there's no perfect job. Just enjoy where you're at. In fact, there's only one perfect thing. What is it? God's Word. So focus on that. Paul said, I've learned to be content in whatever situation I'm in. I've learned to be content no matter what state I'm in. So relax. The A is for act in faith, not fear. Ephesians 2.8 says, For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. What that means is you're not good enough. You didn't get saved because of how good you were. So know that. Understand that. You're not good enough. So therefore, you're going to need grace. Accept the grace. You're not ever going to earn enough to get there. You're never going to earn enough in life to be happy. You're never going to buy enough to be happy. So understand what grace means and accept it for what it is and then act in faith, not fear. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. So going back to this analogy, when you accepted Christ out of grace, you don't want to then immediately take that 
and live by works. There are many religions out there that you can join. Religions in which you will have to earn your way to be saved. And once you earn your way to finally be saved, you will then have to use the rest of your life to earn the fact that you were saved. That works-based religion, if that's what you want, those religions exist. You can go have that. That's not the religion that we're talking about here. The religion here is you're saved by grace and you live by grace. That's the difference. So you have to understand that. That grace is more than just a gift on the cross. It's also the air you breathe today. It's the mind you're using today. We actually think that those things were given to us by God as well. So the fact that I'm still breathing and thinking is also a gift of grace, and I'll accept it for what it is. I won't earn the air I'm breathing. I'm just going to accept it as grace from God. When, when we come before God or we say it to other people, man, I was so poor. I came from the pits of whatever, and now look at us today. Look at what we did. We raised up and did this. Look at it. It's pretty awesome. And God must be up there laughing, going, really? Is that what you did? You did that? Or was it the grace of the mind I gave you? The hands I gave you? The air? You want to see the difference between air and not air? Watch this. You know what I mean? At some point, you have to say, oh, oh, grace is everything. I'm actually here today out of grace. I'm walking out of grace. It's a different mindset. So when we speak of liberating grace, here's the point. Here's the point. If you've had perfection as your goal, then God will always be this parent, this boss, this annoying, nagging boss who tells you right and wrong and nags you on your life because you're never quite good enough. And so you're always feeling that naggingness of, oh, I'm not quite good enough for it. It will always be that if perfection is your goal. But if grace is your goal, it'll be a love relationship. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, because again, I needed you today. Thank you, God. It's a different way of living. Don't live in a prison of perfectionism. Relax. And the X is for exchange my perfectionism for God's peace. I know some of you are out there going, um, that starts with an E, not an X. That's because you're perfect. And this analogy is not. So relax. Matthew 11 summarizes like this. Are you tired, worn out, burnt out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll never, and you'll recover your life. And I will show you how to take a real rest. You'll be able to be on the flotation device and rest. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. That one part wasn't in the Bible. I just threw it in. Some of you are probably still fighting with this. You may be even quoting scripture like, be ye perfect like I am perfect. But why did God put stuff like that in the Bible? Over and over, we see things of him showing you, this is what perfection looks like. Just so you know how far away you are from it. And you're really going to need grace. So here's perfect. And here's you. Accept my grace because you won't be able to do this. Over and over, that analogy is given so that we will understand and love the gift of grace and what it is. You may fail in life. You may fail at your responsibilities, at some of the goals, some of the expectations that were put on you by whoever, some of the standards, some of those, those goals you had out there. You may fail at all of that, 
but you are still saved by grace. You can relax. The Bible says all have sinned. All have sinned and fallen short. But it also says, be careful that no one fails to receive God's grace. He always comes back to it. Grace, the liberating grace. Why would we not want to live that way? Not, why would we not want to praise God every day for this gift that he gave us? Let's pray. God, I thank you for this gift. I also struggle, Lord, with it's too good to be true. Struggle with wanting to earn this gift, but God, I cannot do it. So I accept your grace. And I let it liberate me so that I can just enjoy who you are on a daily basis and have a loving relationship with my Father. Thank you for calling me a child. And I pray for anyone in this room, God, would you give them the peace of relaxation, knowing that they are saved by your grace. They cannot earn it. They just can enjoy it. And we will have a relationship with you that will last forever. God, I thank you for this morning, and I thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.